Welcome to another edition of All Avant-Garde, All the Time, the UberWeb Poetry Foundation podcast. I'm Kenneth Goldsmith, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You probably didn't know that UberWeb has a trove of papers on sound, on words, on film, on all things avant-garde. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take one of those papers, a scholarly paper written by Craig Dworkin called Unheard Music, and we're going to put it to the test. We're going to see if, in fact, Craig's paper holds up when materialized in audio form. But the funny thing about Craig's paper is that it shouldn't hold up because it's all about conceptual music, where the idea of it might be more interesting than the actual listening to it. As a matter of fact, Craig begins his paper with a quote by John Keats. And Keats says that heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. And so, Craig starts his tour of unheard music off with John Cage's 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds, written in 1952. Craig says it's a classic, of course, in three movements, premiered by David Tudor on piano. And this is a recording that the BBC did. Uh, The BBC Orchestra uh, actually did an orchestral interpretation of John Cage's 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds. So what you have is on the stage at the Barbican Center, you've got a full orchestra, and you hear the conductor getting ready to conduct three movements, and he does absolutely nothing. And the orchestra sits there in silence. And the audience is very, very quiet. You can hear the occasional (laughs) cough or or rumble. And then between movements, everybody breathes a sigh of relief. (laughs) on to the next movement. The BBC recorded this thing live. It's a video documentation of it. And there's a kind of a a, a goofy BBC announcer who's almost doing a play-by-play call of what's happening, almost like a sportscaster. Tonight the piece is being presented in a full orchestral version conducted by Lawrence Foster. He's going to give a downbeat to each of the three movements. He'll turn pages when he needs to, and of course the orchestra will remain silent, we hope, throughout the piece. And at the end... You can hear the rousing applause and the very excited uh, sportscasters saying that this, in fact, was a tremendously successful rendition of John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds. Well, that's one of the most extraordinary performances I've ever experienced here in the Barbican Hall. Four minutes and 33 seconds by John Cage. And by the way, those of you with stopwatches... And there are many of you out there, I know. Four minutes and 33 is the amount of performance time we heard. There was, of course, time between the movements as well for everybody to cough. I've still got uh, Tom Service here with me. Uh, Tom, have you ever experienced a uh, performance of this piece? Um, yes, but not in, not in this environment. I mean, what's, what was amazing about it was 
how much tension it generated. I mean, you know, you could cut the atmosphere with, with a knife, and every, every cough, every tiny noise was absolutely amplified, made into a massive musical event. When I hear what we call music, it seems to me that someone is talking. Just so you understand a little bit more where John Cage is coming from, this is a really uh, profound piece of an interview with John Cage recorded shortly before his death in his loft on 6th Avenue. But when I hear uh, traffic, the sound of traffic here on 6th Avenue, for instance, I don't have the feeling that anyone is talking. I have the feeling that uh, sound is acting. And I love the activity of sound. What he's doing is he's listening to the sounds of traffic. And he's explaining his theories of silence, uh, saying that in fact there is no such thing as silence. And Cage, in this wonderful uh, short excerpt from an interview, says that the sounds of Sixth Avenue, the sounds that the traffic makes, is much better music than anyone can possibly compose. If you listen to Beethoven or to Mozart, you see that they're always the same. But if you listen to traffic, you see it's always different. The music you're listening to right now, which of course doesn't sound like music at all, is the music by Alphonse Allais. This is a piece called his Funeral March, the very first movement of his Funeral March, written in 1897, and it's nine empty measures of silence. Allais was a cross between Eric Satie and Raymond Roussel. And this is from a uh, realization of his piece off of a CD put out by the Sonic Arts Network called Pataphysics. And this is pure silence. There's, uh, there's no room tone. There's no, no sound of uh, somebody cracking gum or, or, or coughing or the sound of a train rumbling by. No, this is nine measures of pure and unadulterated silence. And let's enjoy it for couple of moments. Listen closely. And continuing our guided tour of a paper that resides on Uberweb, Craig Dworkin's Unheard Music. This is a a piece written in 1968 by the minimalist composer Steve Reich called Pendulum Music. This was premiered in Boulder by Steve Reich and William Wiley in 1969. What he does is he sets up a couple of microphones from cables over a loudspeaker. And then he begins to swing them back and forth, and the amplifiers generate feedback, a la Jimi Hendrix with his guitar feedback. But there is no guitar, and there is no melody, but there is plenty of rhythm. The recording we're listening to is realized by Sonic Youth on their avant-garde record called Goodbye 20th Century.
And this is from Matmos. Dworkin has chosen always three words, written in 1998. And uh, he tells us that the first word is four-channel tape recorder. The second word is walkie-talkie. And the third word is another walkie-talkie. And what happens here is both of the handheld walkie-talkies are put in transmit mode and moved over the tape recorder, very similar to the way that the Steve Reich was moved over the amplifiers, producing interference which can be manipulated with gestural sweeps, somewhat like scratching a record. Now, I think that Matmos makes things that, that sound too good. This can't possibly just be samples generated by running walkie-talkies over a tape recorder. I think they cheat and make it sound better. But uh, that we don't know. Dworkin directs us next to the Monotone Symphony by Eve Klein in 1957, meant to provide a sonic equivalent of his monochrome paintings. What we're listening to here is the first 20 minutes, an excerpt is just a sustained D major chord. was originally conceived for a full Wagnerian orchestra, but it was performed in 1960 by a small chamber orchestra who memorized the score on short notice. Now, this becomes more conceptual in the second movement because it's 20 minutes of silence. Ubuweb also hosts a uh, complete version of uh, Eve Klein's monotone symphony that this time is generated all by computers. The minute silence will begin on the referee's whistle and will end with the national anthem. This is David Hoyland and a minute silence for the Queen Mum recorded in 2002. The unshielded mic picks up wind noise. So this is not pure silence. This is a, a little bit of ambient silence. And then, at the end, you have this pompous anthem played by a slightly sour brass band, and suddenly that very innocent silence turns into a moment of silence, in a patriotic sense, could be a moment of silence for war dead or for some sort of a holiday, reminding you that silence is not always neutral. It's what you frame it up by that can imbue it with meaning. This is by the Argentinian band Reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O-L-S, and it's called Blank Tapes, recorded in 1999. And yes, this piece is made by digital and analog processing of blank magnetic tapes, but they're special blank tapes, some of which had been saved with a kind of touching sentimentality, 
since 1978. And you can hear that uh, these very special tapes, maybe they're Max Cells from vintage 1978, have their own sound to it. Of course, nothing uh, is silent. Their blank tape, of course, isn't blank. It's got a lot of surface noise. And uh, Reynolds brings out the wealth that's inherent in, in analog media with this piece. In 2002, the Fluxus artist Mieko Shiomi did a piece called A Musical Dictionary of 80 People Around Fluxus, in which she describes each of these people either by realizing one of their works, putting a signature compositional method into practice, or through the general pastiche of technique and timbre, but in all events using only the pitches available from the letters of the dedicatee's name. And what we're listening to here is a portrait of Pauline Oliveris, the grandmother of avant-garde music in America. And this is generated using the letters in her name that actually correspond to musical notes. So it's comprised of the pitches A and E. And this... You're listening to a portrait of Yoko Ono, but her name doesn't supply any notes. <laughs> it's just Y-O-K-O-O-N-O, which cannot be transcribed according to standard musical notation. So what you have is silence. Dworkin next directs our attention to the Institute for Fine Motoric and a uh, piece called Penetrans done by the Quebecois turntablist Martin Tetro and a collective of turntablists. And uh, this is work for record players that are prepared in the Cajun sense of the term with various household items. What they're doing is they're taking toothbrushes and rubbing them up against the needle. They're taking tapes and rubbing them up against the needle. They're spinning things around, various household items, and letting the needles hit them, using the turntable in any way except for what it was originally intended to do, play records. What you're listening to now are the sounds of Marilyn Monroe's voice with all her language removed. 
What you're left with is gulps and sighs and spittles, all done by language removal services. What these guys do is they specialize in removing all language from historical recordings. And we also have a recording here of William S. Burroughs uh, <coughs> with his language removed. And as you can hear, it sounds entirely like William S. Burroughs with his grunts and his mumbles and his stutters, creating a, a, a sort of an inverse portrait of an artist. These guys got their start as sound editors in Hollywood. And their job was to remove all of the stutters and ums and ahs from movie stars, uh, recordings uh, in the studio for the film soundtrack. And what these guys would do is they would scoop up the uh, outtakes and they'd take them home and they'd make these artworks out of them. And finally, Dworkin ends his paper by showing us the work of Vasily Nedov. Poema Kansa. And this is called Poem of the End, written in 1913. And basically what it is, is sound poetry reduced to a blank sheet of paper. Project what you like onto it, listen to the silence, listen to the unheard music. This is an interpretation of that poem that's done by playing a silent wax cylinder and just listening to the sounds of the wax. And this goes on for an hour. It doesn't really change. But it is the audio equivalent of a blank page. Sound recording itself. The materiality of the medium being made manifest. And those are just a few of the many sounds. There are many, many more listed here in Craig Dworkin's paper, Unheard Music. It's a curious thing, uh, writing about something conceptual and listening to something conceptual. It's called Unheard Music, but now you've heard the music and you have a chance to actually hear what it sounds like. And you know what? Most of the time, it doesn't sound like much. Maybe, Craig, maybe it's better in its paper form. Maybe it's better in its unheard form. Craig Dworkin's paper, Unheard Music, is housed in the paper section of UbuWeb, ubu.com slash papers. There's a lot of writing on conceptual art, conceptual music, music heard, music unheard. I'm Kenneth Goldsmith, and this has been another UbuWeb Poetry Foundation podcast, all avant-garde, all the time. Craig, when you're updating your paper, you might want to include our rendition of Unheard Music. And that's some room tone from the room in which we're recording this here at Curtis Fox's studio in Brooklyn, New York. Here's room tone.